Welcome to the Godmother Podcast. I'm Lisa Bevere, and I actually believe that we all need a Godmother. And not only do we need one, but as a woman, we can be one. Godmothers are people that watch over us. They come alongside of us when we're in seasons of hardship or catalysts of change. And I'm really excited about today's podcast. We are going to be talking about something really, really difficult. But before we go into that, I want you to know this is actually season number three for the Godmother podcast. And in this season, we're having conversations about navigating some of the most unexpected challenges that life is throwing our way. It is no secret that our culture is getting increasingly more difficult to navigate in nearly every single area of life. So in this season, I'm bringing on guests that are going to help us navigate these uncharted waters safely. And today, this is this is my wild guest today, I have Dr. Preston Sprinkle. He is actually no stranger to navigating sensitive cultural conversations. Preston is someone I've known for a few years now. I read multiple ones of his books. My One of my favorites is People to be Loved. I also really loved his book, Embodied. And he has been studying and writing on the topics of sexuality and gender identity for 10 years, and he is amazing. Preston Sprinkle is an international speaker, New York Times bestselling author of Erasing Hell, What God Says About Eternity. He has a PhD. His area of study is sexuality and gender. And he actually runs the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. It's an organization that actually equips Christians to have engaging conversations around these topics, which we all need help with this right now. He also hosts an amazing podcast called Theology in the Raw and posts regularly on YouTube channel, Preston Sprinkle. Preston, thank you so much for joining me today. So I am so excited to be be talking today with Mr. Preston Sprinkle. Preston came into my life unexpectedly. Somebody told me about his amazing book, People to be Loved. I was boarding an airplane, I devoured the book, read every single page of it, posted about it, was immediately attacked by bazillions of people, but I didn't care. I was like, this message is so winsome, so well thought out, uh, such a mixing of grace and truth. And and then I reached out to Preston, I was like, listen, I, I need to know why, the why. And um, Preston, you and I got to record for the Adamant podcast, and it is still one of our conversation about um, people to be loved, why homosexuality is more than an issue. That conversation, it, it is still one of our most popular podcasts. People go back to it. People loved how you navigated that with grace and truth. And then Preston was like, hey, I just, I just want my life to be a little bit more complicated. I'm just going to go for another topic that would just actually put me up as, 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 as a target for everything. And Preston, you wrote a book called Embodied. Okay, amazing, amazing book. And you think, what is Embodied about? Well, it's about gender identity. And I had the privilege of reading it a little bit uh, early before it came out. And I found myself in tears. Preston, I, I feel like you you do something so well. Uh, there's so many people that are scholarly, they have facts, but you actually, you have 
dove deep into relationships. You don't just have truth and you don't just have theology, but you have deep relationships. And Embodied is tackling the tri transgender identity and the church and what the Bible has to say. And I just want to hear what you want to talk about on this because I got lots of young mamas uh, who are really actually listening to a lot of counsel of fear. Um, I personally listened to the Abigail Schreier interview with Megan Kelly about irreversible damage and some of the things that are going on, but I, I would love it from a Christian perspective. And Preston, you're one of my favorite smart people to talk to. <laughs> well, the, the feeling is very mutual. I don't know if I told you this, but when you posted, this is a few years ago, a picture of, and a whole blurb on my book, People to be Loved on your Facebook page. I, I don't pay too close attention to sales and stuff, but every now and then I'll check in. And I think on the Amazon rankings, my book was, a, it was pretty low. It's like 80,000 or something. It had been out for a couple of years. After your post, it, with, within a day, it was at 1,000 on Amazon, like the top 1,000 books. So they, my publisher thanks you. I thank you. And uh, yeah, I, I was just blown away. It was a friend of mine who said, did you know Lisa Bevere is like posting about your book? I'm like, what? Like, no, I didn't know that. So anyway, thank you. No, listen, I, if I find tools that I think other people need, I'm going to post about it. And um, I just felt like you created such a great conversation that I, I was like, I'm, I'm going to get behind this, whether Preston wants me to behind it or not. I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah. So the, so yeah, people to be loved was about uh, homosexuality in particular, the LGB. And, um, I, right after I published that book in 2015 or 16, um, I immediately saw that the trans conversation was kind of really flaring up for lack of better terms. And I think a lot of it was the Supreme court decision in 2015. Um, a lot of gay and lesbian people were like, all right, we're good. We arrived. This is what we've been fighting for. Um, and, but that really doesn't apply to the trans conversation. So in the last six years or so, the trans conversation has really taken off. And that's when I almost immediately said, and I really need to understand that this part of the conversation, because contrary to, well, not contrary to, but you know, a lot of Christians, they use the phrase LGB or LGBT or LGBTQ as a synonym for being gay. And the number one thing we I guess we could start with is there's a big difference between LGB and T. Um, T, some trans people are gay, some are straight, some are bisexual. Like to be transgender says nothing really about your sexuality, it says nothing about whether you want to enter into a same sex marriage, it says nothing about, um, you know, Leviticus 18 and same sex relationships or whatever. Like it's, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say it's a very different conversation. There's some overlap. LGBT people feel oftentimes mistreated uh, by Christians or um, conservatives in general. Um, and so there's some relational similarities, but in terms of the, the actual like theological, even anthropological or ethical questions that arise from LGB, those are different than T. So that's why, and I say that because, you know, so, when I came out with my book and body, people were like, didn't you already write that book? Is this like a second edition of people to be loved? And I, and I tell them there's about a 1% overlap between these two books. I'm like, what? Wait, why? I'm like, because again, LGB is very, very different from, from T. So so give a very simple uh, definition of trans. Yeah. Trans is a broad umbrella term that can mean many, many, many different things. Uh, Mark Yarhouse, Christian psychologist, likes to say, if you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person. So 
um, not every trans. So in general, the trans identity, the trans label describes some kind of incongruence that somebody might experience between their biological sex and their, for lack of better terms, their, their internal sense of who they are. Um, that would be the, probably the one thing that might capture everybody on some level who identifies as trans, but some trans people identify with their biological sex. Some believe they were born in the wrong body. Some don't believe that some transition, some don't transition, transition. Some may use the term trans as simply a synonym for the fact that they experience gender dysphoria, this, this kind of distress that comes with that incongruence. And so there's, again, you may 10 trans people, you might get 11 different <laughs> descriptions of what it means to be trans, but in as a broad, broad 30,000 foot understanding, you know, trans, if somebody says they're trans, it means there's some, they experience some level of disconnect with their biological sex. And what do you find it, it, I'm assuming if there's 11 different expressions, is there 11 different reasons or is there some commonalities on why this happens? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. 11 different reasons. Yeah. There, there's all kinds of different things. Um, and, and we, we can talk specifically about gender dysphoria. That's the kind of clinical psychological term that people will use to diagnose somebody who is suffering from this condition. Um, but not every trans person has gender dysphoria. In fact, it's kind of a growing movement among younger people that are saying we can just self ID. If I say I'm trans, that's the only criteria to be trans. Just say you're trans and then you're trans, you know? A lot of older trans people don't really like that. They're like, no, unless you're clinically diagnosed with gender dysphoria, you're not really trans. So even, even, even things like gender dysphoria and, and trans, that's even that's debated. Everything's debated in this conversation. So um, yeah, so why might somebody experience gender dysphoria? That is a big, big mystery. Um, for some people, it just has been with them since they were two years old. Um, for 80% of children with gender dysphoria, it ends up going away through puberty. 80%, according to all the studies. Um, some people didn't have it as a kid and they have it in adolescence and maybe it goes away, maybe it doesn't. So it's really a huge mystery. For someone with um, severe gender dysphoria, because gender dysphoria does exist on the spectrum from mild to moderate to severe, you know, severe gender dysphoria is, could be absolutely debilitating. Um, getting dressed in the morning and walking outside your house can be a can be a traumatic, a genuinely like traumatic experience for somebody with severe gender dysphoria. Now, where does that come from? You know, we just don't know. You know, some people just, just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it seems to be part of the fallen nature that they were born, born with, you know, uh, for other people it might be linked to something in their social environment. The, the, one of the big ones for biological females is with gender dysphoria is, um, is internalized misogyny. Um, this has been shown from several studies that, um, in fact, there was a, an online study that was published uh, over 200 women with gender dysphoria. They were asked, what are some things you can do that helps mitigate or lessen the dysphoria? And uh, the number one thing, I think 80 something percent said, uh, dealing with internalized misogyny. Maybe they were raised in a really unhealthy home where being a woman was seen as being way less than being a man. And they kind of internalized that. Um, so any kind of womanist femininity that they are you know they look in the mirror and they see a feminine person it, and it triggers this kind of internalized disdain for that for being that you know for some people it is 
linked to things like abuse and trauma. Um, for others, there's really nothing. It's just kind of just has always been there. So it's, uh, it, it is a big mystery. Um, you know, um, I have found for me, I know this is going to sound silly, but, um, you know, I, I do think that I associated, at, especially at a young age, that strength was involved in masculine and weakness was in feminine. And I saw a dynamic between my parents where I thought, you know, I, you know I'm going to act more like my dad. Uh, and I'm going to associate more with that. And then it was, and then of course junior high comes along and then you're like, I'm, I'm a unicorn. I don't know any idea what I am. I'm not a male. I'm not a female. I'm, I'm never transitioning. I don't know what's happening to me. But then I remember becoming a Christian and actually refine, finding myself back in that space of female negative, women less than. Uh, I remember uh, my poor husband, we were engaged, and I said to him, darn it, I just realized I'm going to be a woman for the rest of my life. And he was like, what are you saying? And I said, well, you know, I've always had like a, a man's brain and a woman's body, and now that I'm marrying a man, I realize i got to figure out the girl part. And, and John was just like, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with you? But I do think that that is constantly being sent to the women, especially in the church. You know, I, I have... Um, mamas, scared mamas saying, hey, you know, please pray for me. My daughter is saying now that she's a boy and, you know, and I don't know what's going on and I don't know where I went wrong and I can't say anything or else I'm the person in, in, uh, in air and I'm going to, I'm losing my daughter's confidence. She's not speaking to me about things. And, and this is a, an issue because I think it's really hard to ask children to identify their gender when they're transitioning from a girl to a woman or a boy to a man, uh, you don't ask people or you shouldn't ask people in puberty anything except for what would you like to eat? And uh, I mean, because you don't even know what you want to do with your life in the future. So, I mean, what would you say to some of these mamas? Because they're, they're afraid. And of course, you, you and I both know that fear is a horrible counselor. You know, as a parent, as a person in a marriage, if you're doing something out of fear, um, people will either push back or you're going to actually end up with the exact opposite result of what you want. Yeah, man, a lot there. And, and, uh, you've, you've done such a great job, uh, Lisa deconstructing some of those stereotypes about courage, faithfulness, strength, being purely masculine kind of virtues, you know, which, which is just, you know, I think sometimes that, you know, yes, guys on average are maybe physically stronger and we, we read the, the concept of strength through physical strength, but as you and I, and most humans know, like mental <laughs> and spiritual strength is almost more important than physical strength is more important. Um, and you've modeled that so well. Uh, yeah. What I'd say to moms that have a kid in that situation is first of all, you're absolutely not alone. Um, there's been a, in the UK alone, and this would apply to America as well, but in the UK, a 5,000% increase in like teenage females over the last 10 years, going to gender clinics saying they're either experienced dysphoria, they're questioning their biological sex, they identify as trans, so, some level of disconnect with their biological sex. 5,000% increase, that's insane. Like that's not statistically, I mean, po possible in the sense that there's gotta be something else going on here. Um, and because, you know, gender dysphoria as a clinical diagnosis has historically been more of a male thing, like two to one, three to one males to females. 
that would suffer from gender dysphoria. And it's a very rare condition. According to the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the, the latest edition in 2013, 0.014% of the population had been maybe diagnosed with gender dysphoria. That, that's a that's a tiny percentage, you know? Right. So when you go to high schools or junior highs today, and, you know, a quarter of the population has a different gender identity, that's not, you can't draw a one-to-one relation with like a quarter of the population has gender dysphoria. And then you have all of a sudden now it's primarily females that are, you talk to people that have kind of gone through this, this kind of identity for a period of time. And they all say the same thing. Like all of their friends were trans. They spent loads of time in, in online communities that were celebrating you come out as trans. And they, even today, the algorithms are wired in such a way. And I've seen people yeah. do this, where if you come out as trans, you, you're, you'll get flooded with celebration, flooded. And yeah, I, t- I talked to a mom whose kid came out as trans and she wanted to kind of see what's going on online in this conversation. So she created a fake Instagram account where she came out as trans in that account. And she had over a hundred people immediately celebrating she had plastic surgeons reaching out to her saying hey if you need some surgery here's my here's my i mean it was she said it was eerie it was like what is going on here so you take a kid who might be lonely might be isolated might be a teenager you know like yeah uncomfortable yeah oh yeah, yeah. and and you find a, a community that a space where if you come out with an identity that doesn't take a lot to prove it's if you say you're trans nobody's going to say oh we'll prove it no one's going to give you a blood test. No one's going to, they're going to say, yeah, you know, it's like, it's doesn't take a lot to I, simply identify as trans. All you have to do is identify as trans. Right. Um, so there are certain environments, more progressive environments where if you say you're trans or non-binary or gender queer, you do that, that can elevate your social status and gain you access to a new community where you're going to be nothing but celebrated that, Again, just, I'm trying to be super. Which is so sad that we're not providing that. That's just, that's, that's what I'm just like, ah, you know, I just want to tear my clothes. I mean, yes. I mean, and I, you know, again, I'm not, I just, I just want people to hear what we're saying. The fact that being a teenager is awkward, period. Being a woman is awkward right now. Being a man is, I mean, there's, there's so much the church should be the place where people feel the most celebrated, most come around, whatever your challenge is, that there's there's space for you in, in whatever that thing is. And I'm wondering if we are actually saying to these young people, um, this uncomfortable in between, this uncomfortable dynamic of, to be honest with you, living in a culture where people are not kind, where, where people are not inclusive, um, this uncomfortable world that we are in right now, uh, listen, it, it's all because of this. And, and giving them an opt out because of this, when really what, what surrounds them is what is wrong. <laughs> you know, when, and it's normal to be uncomfortable. And then I also wonder, is it because we have done such a poor job of celebrating gender have we made gender too constrictive where i where a a woman says i don't fit into 
only uh, baking cookies and, you know, doing like domestic things and, and never having questions and never, I don't fit into that. And then I, or a man saying, I, I really love decorating and I really love art and I really love the beauty industry and I don't fit, none of that fits in for me. Are we just creating a no-win situation for people? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a huge part of it. These really narrow gender stereotypes that have, they've almost become the primary lens through which people determine who's a man or a woman, you know, which is really odd. I thought, and this is where a lot of like secular feminists are infuriated (laughs) at some of the conversations we're having involving gender today. Cause they're like, Mm -hmm. wait a minute, if a girl you know, cuts her hair short and wears baggy pants and wants to play sports or whatever. It's like in certain environments, not in every environment, but certain environments, she would be highly encouraged to explore her trans identity, you know, like uh, maybe you're non-binary, maybe you're genderqueer, but you're, you know, the, the mess, the underlying message, it may not be said exactly like this, but the message is, well, you're clearly not a girl, <laughs> just a boring old girl, you know, because you don't like excessive femininity so here's a whole range of other identities that you can explore you know um and yeah but you know there was a quote in a in a book i read where somebody interviewed a bunch of high school high schoolers about you know hey what's going on on campus and one of the questions that came up was you know how um tell me about like tomboys at your school are tomboys you know girls who are a little more masculine or less feminine how are they received at school and one of the teenagers said we don't have any tomboys there's no such thing as a tomboy anymore either you're a feminine really feminine girl or you're a trans it was the response from the student and again that doesn't describe every environment but that's um yeah i i i think that that can be I mean, it's problematic, right? On so many levels, <laughs> just say it. Yeah, and I probably asked you three questions in the one too. <laughs> so sorry about that. Well, I mean, it's it's sad because the Bible is actually very liberating in terms of what how to express your maleness or femaleness. The Bible does not endorse these narrow gender stereotypes. Yes, many, maybe most males will act in stereotypical masculine ways. Maybe most females will, but... There's quite a few who won't. There's always going to be crossover. Yeah, there's all there's always going to be crossover. So, all right, so you brought up the Bible. So, and again, we're talking about definitions right now. We're talking about um, stereotypes. We're talking about things in very broad dynamics. We're talking about a broken world. We're talking about a broken culture. We're talking about a disenfranchised uh, generation where they have not, there's been breakdown in family, breakdown in church, breakdown, you know, so let's not even talk about church. Let's take it to Jesus. Like where, where does Jesus come in on all of this? Because, you know, I found uh, healing from thinking, wow, this is frustrating. My life could have been so much better in a person. I even remember reading something by C.S. Lewis and being upset because he, he because he made, he'd made a couple comments in the Chronicles of Narnia. Just, just, there was just a couple things where I was like, what are you saying? Uh, and, and wanting to A, serve God with all of my heart and B, believe that anything that I brought that would a strength would be an offering. It was really hard for me. So where does where does Jesus come in on trans? Period. Where does he come in? Like so does he does he say, "Listen, 
I understand your struggles. You live in a broken world, and and I want you to know you're going to you're going to wrestle with these things until you are, are in eternity. Um, and I and I want you to lean on me. Uh, does he does he say try to fix yourself? I you know what does Jesus say yeah, to yeah. this? Well, well, Jesus. In one way, he doesn't say anything, and in another way, he says so much. So most trans-identified people um, don't fit the stereotypical view of what it means to be a man or a woman. That would be a very true generalization for most trans people. They don't resonate completely with the stereotypes associated with their biological sex. So how does Jesus speak to that? Well, Jesus very profoundly deconstructs a lot of the gender stereotypes of his day. I mean, think about it. In the Jewish first century world, to be a manly man meant to be married, to have lots of kids, to have kind of a lower view of women. You wouldn't honor women like we would be encouraged to today. And there was a kind of a social kind of hierarchy, especially in the, maybe the Greco-Roman world where a high status person would not serve a low status person. Um, in the Roman world too, to be a manly man was to be violent, you know, to, to destroy your enemy. So you take all these kind of categories that existed in the first century of these gender stereotypes and Jesus just deconstructs them all. He's not married, doesn't have kids. He's not sexually promiscuous. He turns the other cheek. He loves his enemy. He um, serves those of a lower social status and he elevates the value of women. He does everything that goes against the cultural grain of what it means to be a masculine, manly man. I, I think he wants to give us a more full holistic biblical picture of what it is to be a man or a woman. I think his breaking down of gender stereotypes would apply to, uh, apply to females as well. All right. I love that. So if, if you're talking to a mom now and what do you, what do you say? She's been out of control. She's, you know, what do you say to that mama? Yeah. Uh, man, that's, it's, it's hard because, well, here's what's hard. A lot, there, there's a popular message out there today that if you, if you're a kid and you say you're trans, then you're trans. So boom, you're trans. And if you're trans, um, you have two options now. Either you're going to commit suicide or you need to transition. And if anybody does not fully affirm your new identity and, and, and uh, like help you to transition, then that person is toxic they're violent because they are basically encouraging you to commit suicide. If they say, I'm not sure transitioning is the best for you. You're 15 years old or whatever. Maybe, maybe let's not do that. Um, if anybody has any kind of reservations of transitioning, then they are toxic. You need to cut out all toxic, harmful people in your life. Mm -hmm. So this, this is a message and you can go online and, and people yeah. can even memorize scripts where this is, you know, so this is this creates a very difficult scenario because there's no conversation there's, there's, there's no, no conversation yeah. now the only and so I, I that might sound like kind of like hopeless or whatever but the one the one thing parents should not do is just come down really strong on their child um if you you need to be perceived as a as a safe person as somebody who is trustworthy as somebody who is not this toxic person standing in the way of their flourishing. So um, as a parent, 
your first and second and third response needs to be a lot of listening, genuine curiosity, not interrogation, but like, what, okay, you're, you say you're non-binary, uh, you know, thank you so much for telling me that. I would love to know more about what that means. And, and I'm so, I'm, thank you for trusting me with that. And I really want to walk with you in this and I want what's best for you. Like you need to interrupt the script that they think the parent is going to fit into this parent that's going to say, no, you're not, or don't say that, or, or no, you can't transition. Now as a short-term goal. Yeah. I do. I don't, if I was an atheist, Lisa, Bible hating, yeah. Jesus hating atheists, I would still say humans should wait until their brains are fully developed to make irreversible lifelong decisions like transitioning. Um, not only say that for ethical reasons, I say that just for practical kind of basic sociological reasons. So even as a short-term goal, I really don't want this teenager to take the steps down the road of medical transitioning. So um, how can I, how can I help them to delay that or even don't do that? Man, I need to be perceived as a safe, kind, listening, understanding person. I can't come on too strong, come on too strong. That's just going to push them in most cases, push them really far away. So it's a hard balancing act. Uh, Lisa, do you have it? I would love to hear. I mean, you're, you're a seasoned parent, grandparent. Um, does that resonate with you? And how, what are you telling women who are in this situation? Yes. I mean, and, and again, uh, you know, I, I kind of said it at the beginning, I have never found fear to be a good counselor. So reactionary and fear is just, it's never going to drive it. And, it, and it, what I'm hearing you say is what you don't want to do is fall into the pattern of the narrative they're saying that the parents are going to have. So, you know, I do think I would um, say, you know, all right, let's talk about why you're uncomfortable. Let's talk about, um, you know, do you understand making decisions now um, in this season? You know, and I think I'd probably share from my own experience of saying, hey, this season of your life is the most uncomfortable season you will ever go through in your growth period. Like, you know, it's not uncomfortable to be five, but it's uncomfortable to be 15. You know, and, and at 15, you don't want to make decisions in your most uncomfortable season that are going to affect you when you're 25, you want to be able to look back and, and know that you made a decision when everything was sound and supportive. I think, I think I would want, I think I'd want to actually have some of those conversations, but, you know, again, prayer and, you know, again, not, not attacking them with prayer, but I mean, taking it, taking it to prayer, um, and covering your children. I am shocked by how many people on my social media post, my daughter thinks that she's trans. And I'm like, oh my gosh, do not put this on my social media. Like there's 700,000 people and you just put your, you just outed your daughter who is in a, in a very vulnerable place right now on my social media. That goes along with the people that are like, please pray for my husband, he's an idiot. So I mean, like you don't, you don't use social media as that kind of platform. So definitely, you know, having this conversation um, and just say, you know, I, I love what you said about, hey, let me talk to me about this. You know, um, I know that when Addison, who, who you know and love, I know that when Addison started to go through puberty, he started being like, we called him mean. I mean, he just was mean. And he's he's so godly now. But like literally my, the two youngest sons wrote me a letter about Addison and said, mom, we promised to never go into the mean stage. He was awful. And so I remember, uh, I remember just telling him, 
listen, I've never had a 13-year-old before. You're going to have to help me because last year, you didn't react when I said things like this. And this year, you're reacting in, in a way that I don't even understand. Uh, and I think it came around like, you know, do I have to take a shower? And, you know, I used to like smell my boys and be like, you know what, you're okay. But once I hit, I'm like, no, no, you're taking a shower. <laughs> I think it was just that. And it was like, wow, this big reaction. And, and so I think asking them to help you navigate the conversations is really important. And um, I, I know that for Addison, he kind of, he loves to be the boss of me. He started bossing me where he was too. And so as soon as he could actually have a role in that, I think it was really helpful for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's that awkwardness that is going to come into everybody when they're also trying to pull away from their parents. So, you know, that's that 12, 13 years old, you're starting to think, my peers mean more than what my parents say. I don't know who to trust. My teachers are saying things that maybe contradict things I've heard at home. You know, who is my, who is my world? And so what John and I tried to do was have very difficult conversations around the table on a regular basis. You know, so around the table at dinner in a non-threatening environment. I remember asking Addison some sexual things while I was folding laundry so I didn't have to make eye contact. You know, so, you know, ask him, hey, I heard this might be going on in junior high. What do you, what do you think about that? And just, like, not reacting, not asking for names, not asking for addresses, not calling, making the other, not calling the other parents, you know, just having that conversation with your children and um, re reinforcing the fact that you actually did have good input. And, you know, one of the things that John and I realized is we didn't know everything. We, we had not broached every conversation that was coming up with this generation. And so we would actually show them videos over the dinner. Like we might watch somebody having a hard conversation and navigating it well over dinner. And then we would talk about it. Like, how did you, how did you feel about that? And what did you think about that? And it was really helpful because we were bringing the sources in. And these weren't always even Christian sources. These were just smart people, which there's a lot of people smarter than John and I. Yeah. Yeah. That's parenting. Goodness. I mean, so I'm going to, I'm going to think of it. I've got four teenagers. <laughs> I, you know, I've had a little bit of an, ex, like a free pass in a sense, because of what I do. I mean, my, yeah. I wake up every day and I deal with the LGBTQ conversation. Like that's what I do. My, my kids have always kind of known that they've heard me speak on it a thousand times. So it's sort of in the air of our house. So it's been, it has been easier for us to engage in conversations, but um, you know, not everybody obviously is, <laughs> you know, does what I do. A uh, few do, but, um, but yeah, I think having those kind of open, like creating a home environment where no question is off limits and no question is awkward, um, at least striving towards that. Because if, if, you're, if you don't create an environment, your kids' questions don't go away. They just go away with their question and they go ask somebody else for it. Namely, they'll Google it or ask a friend or, you know, um, but if you don't create that healthy, open, honest, authentic environment, um, yeah, they'll, the questions don't go away. They'll just go ask someone else. So we've tried to have, instead of like one hundred minute conversation about sex, have a hundred one minute conversations about sex. I, I a hundred percent agree. I just remember Addison beyond when we talked to Addison for the first time, the overload, 
he just looked at us and he said, I, I just need to go shoot some baskets. I just, and John and I both were like, we took it too far. Like he, he just, he did, he just, and we just saw him shooting baskets for like, he's, his brain, he was like, I, I can't, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to see this. Um, I love that 101 minute conversations. All right. Now what if, what if, um, you know, what if somebody's like, hey, I, I need a deep dive on this. I mean, I love that Lisa, you and Preston are having some conversations, but I don't know anything. And, and I'll just be honest with you. There's like a bazillion things we have not talked about that's in your book, Preston. I mean, there's, you, you talk about intersex, you talk, you, there's so many different things. I mean, if I just read the uh, table of contents, people would be like, what? I had no idea. Now I'm even more confused. But this is a conversation that the church should be navigating because the church is set up to bring people into wholeness as part of a body. And um, so if, if that is the case, um, who is this book for? Is this book for people who are wrestling with gender identity or is this book for people who, you know, have children that are wrestling or is it for just, I, I would hope every um, person that has any kind of influence or counseling, practicing, any type of things, they would be getting this book. But can you say who this book is for? Sure. Yeah. It's for any thoughtful Christian, primarily a non-trans Christian who wants to understand the conversation more. So I'm not writing to somebody directly who is trans, like helping them with their dysphoria. Um, that's not my, that's, I can't do, somebody else would need to write that book. It is writing to thoughtful Christians to help them understand, get their arms around the conversation. And I say thoughtful because, you know, I do deal with some complex stuff in there. As you know, I try to do so in a way that is conversational. And that it took me, Lisa, this book went through nine drafts because it, it, I deal with such complex topics. And yet I'm like, I want the average person to be able to understand this. So um, I'm, I am thinking maybe if I had one person in mind, you know, it'd be some kind of Christian leader, yeah. but I think parent, Christian parents are by definition, Christian leaders too. So yeah, Absolutely. if you're a parent, and when I say thoughtful Christian, if you just can't stand to read, you read half a book a year, whatever, yeah, this might be a, a, a tougher book to read. Um, but again, it, it isn't a conversational style, even though I talk about intersex and brain sex theory and theological anthropology, like if you can put technical names on everything I'm talking about, but I try to do so in a way that's understandable. So um, yeah, it's really for any, I mean, I think in 2021, Lisa, th yeah. this topic is big enough to where it, it, everybody should at least read a book or two or five on this topic. I would love to see um, parents read this with their teenagers. And you probably did a course on this, correct, Preston? So we have, uh, so the ministry that I run, the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, we have lots we'll of other resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. lots of re lots of video-based resources that you can check out. Um, yeah, so that I don't have a specific course just on the book, but in a lot of our other kind of video-based resources, we do discuss more or less the content of what's what's in there. Okay, so the very first question that I that you put on there, and I feel like we addressed it, but I just want to make sure. And anyway, I just want to kind of say it's funny. I found myself on page one thirty three, male male body, male brain in a female body. There we go. And you know, to be honest with you, Preston, I think God was like, "You're going to have four sons, <laughs> and you you're going to have a husband that travels all the time." And when he plays sports, he golfs. 
and he plays tennis. And when you play sports, you hunt, you ski, and you surf. So you, <laughs> together, the two of you <laughs> will be able to parent four boys. But um, so this says why more and more teens are questioning their gender. Is, is, is we've talked about is that's because number one, we're, we're putting that out there. Number two, we have very rigid gender stereotypes. Anything else that you want to highlight? Yeah, so I have a whole chapter just on that, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the rise in teenagers identifying as trans or questioning the biological sex. Yeah, I think it partly can be social environment, partly can be just sheer, again, biological tendencies. Some people do have just from birth almost, you know, severe gender dysphoria. Um, uh, I, I think, in, yeah, in more progressive environments, in more online communities, and in Hollywood and the popular our pop culture, right, is has to play a role when every other celebrity seems to be coming out as, you know, a different identity. Um, that we are social beings, like that will have an impact on how people per perceive themselves. Um, uh, yeah, I think the rigid stereotypes is ironically, um, you know, it's 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 really interesting and, I mean, sad really that if you take like conservative culture and then progressive culture, it almost forms like a horseshoe. So you get into extreme conservative circles and you have rigid stereotypes. Women stay at home and don't work and aren't allowed to speak and don't drive cars and, you know, real rigid stereotypes. <laughs> and then you come to more moderate, then you've come full circle to a very progressive environment. And, you know, I heard one parent say, my boy, my boy used to, he always ran like a girl. So we, then we knew he was trans because a boy runs like, I'm like, whoa, you, I dare you to tell, ask any feminist, hey, do you run like a girl? You know, you know, old school yeah. patriarchal. But, but th see, but then that reinforces the misogyny because if if we say running like a girl is an insult, what in the world? I mean, these are these are these are horrible uh, stereotypes, and and I mean, I found. Uh, you know, I found myself even scared when uh, Addison and Julie had their first little girl, Sophia. I said, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do with a girl. And Tom was like, what is wrong with you? You are a girl. I said, you're right. I forgot. I forgot. Uh, but that's also from being surrounded by males so much. So I want everybody out there to know this, that embodied is not, this is not, this is a conversation. This is information this is clarity uh, in the idea of knowing that we have, as Christians, tend to mishandle things at first, reactionary, fear-driven, oh my gosh, uh, you know, this is, this is a book that's a tool to actually help you have these conversations and actually educate you because I think we're always going to react in fear on things we don't understand. We'll just, we'll just react on it. And I just wish everybody would read Embodied because I feel like Embodied, uh, it's going to challenge some of the things that need to be challenged just in our gender stereotypes. You know, just, just this idea of what does it look like, you know, to be created in the image of God? Does that mean you're a man? You know, do, what does that mean? Is, is God, uh, is he only masculine or does God have any kind of feminine expression? You know, do, and we, you know, these are things that we need to be able to talk about. And again, uh, we love people. 
We love people that are struggling. You know, Preston, uh, one of my um, hairdressers, before I decided to stop coloring my hair, my, my sweet hairdresser that was <laughs> seeing me like every four weeks to try to deal with my gray, uh, one day I, I called to make an appointment and he was just gone. And I was like, where is he? And they said, oh, he's gone. But I had his home number because he loved me. And I texted him. I said, hey, where, where are you? You know, you just took off. You know, you got to help me. I said, I don't want to be guilty of hairdresser adultery. So you need to tell me whether I need to come to you and where I need to go. And he said, Lisa, I'm, I'm just, I'm transitioning into a woman. And I know you don't agree with that. And so because I know you don't agree with it, I, I didn't think you'd want to come to me anymore. And I said, okay, first of all, I love you. Second of all, I can love people I disagree with. I said, I've been married for over 40 years, which means uh, that I love people that I disagree with. It's my husband. And I said, I also, uh, my concern is that you're hoping that transitioning from a man to a woman is going to fill all these needs that I don't think, you're, I think you're going to find there's still a lack. And I said, I just don't want to see you go through all of this to find out that it didn't fill that space in your life. And, and so it created, you know, I, I, I still had a relationship with him. I still have his phone number, you know, and, and I moved to, from Colorado to Nashville. But, um, but yeah, so I, I felt like he took that really well. But, I, you know, I can see now that he was like, I'm going to remove myself from everybody that might be toxic. And, uh, and he just assumed. You know, your, your first statement was, I love you. You led with that, which yeah. is the, the most important. Because, yeah, there is that. It's just kind of in the air of our culture that we can only be around people we, just, we agree with, you know. That, um, and, yeah, that's, that's just so sad. That's just such a polarized, unhealthy culture, you know. Um, yeah, it's crazy. There was a survey that was, I just, I don't know the exact statistics, but it was, it was asking people, uh, Republicans and Democrats, could you be friends with somebody on the other side? And it was a disturbingly high number of people that were like, that said, no, I can't even have a friend that's a Republican or a Democrat if they were, you know, the opposite. It's like, God, that, that's, that's so sad. It's so sad. And it's so like, unhealthy you know like just just all it's just going to create these little echo chambers where we sit around with everybody we agree with and that's just not that's just boring first of all but also just not very human so i love your your you just i mean i i could imagine that yeah i mean you have that that presentation that persona of like hey look i i'm for you i I love you we don't need to agree whatever you're cutting my hair can we, we can still have a conversation we can still ask how each other are doing we don't need to be on the same page with everything so um, right i wish we needed more of that in christianity well i do think that the christian culture thinks that kindness is endorsement and that's that's i think is a huge problem i mean i just um i find that christians and i, I hate it to say it but i find that christians historically are some of the most rude people when they disagree with somebody than i've ever seen in my life. In the last election, I, I could not believe how binary everybody was, you know, going back to the, can we even be friends? Um, the, the hatred in any of my social threads with if anybody, no matter how they brought it up, uh, but Christians, you know, just, 
attacking and just behaving in such ways that, you know, Jesus is going to not be happy about it. And then the other thing is, you know, the now we've got people thinking it's cool to be rude because then I'm just flipping over the table, you know, and that Jesus would flip over the table. And I'm like, yeah, well, that was his table to flip. You don't go flip your neighbor's table. You flip your own table. <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, that's really where we're at right now. I got enough things to flip in my own life that I don't need to go knock on somebody else's door and start flipping their table. And, 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 you know, so right now I feel like the Christians need to step back and say, do I believe it's the kindness of God that led me to repentance? Because if I believe it's the kindness of God, it wasn't an endorsement of my sin, but it was an open doorway to say, Hey, listen, I want, I want, I want something more for you. You know, and all I know is, uh, Preston, that the couple times that I either had sorority sisters try to witness to me by basically telling me, uh, you're the wildest girl in all the sorority, or some uh, hellfire brimstone preacher yelling at me when I walked on the campus at U of A because of what I was dressed like or my hair or whatever, didn't help. But the very first time that I had somebody who was John Bevere tell me that God loved me and had asked him to reach out to me. So here's the thing. It's not just God loves you and I'm not going to be involved in your life, but God loves you and I want to have a conversation with you. And I think too many people, they say, God loves you. I'm inviting you to church on Sunday. And people are like, if you don't have me in your home, I'm not going to church with you. I mean, I just think, I think we, we think inviting people to church is the most generous offer we could ever have because we have said to the pastor, you fix everything. I bring people, they sit next to me, you fix it. And once you've got them fixed, then I'll be nice to them. I'll stick them in a Bible study. And yet people are really hurting. You know, I had a moment yesterday, Preston. I, uh, we moved and I made the mistake of selling all my furniture. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm scrambling here right now. <laughs> so I had ordered a little rocking chair for my fifth grandchild, Scarlett. And Pottery Barn told me it was on back order. And I'm like, oh, dear Jesus. You know, I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't have a grandma fail. I told him I can't have a grandma fail. And the lady on the phone said, your grandmother? I said, I am. And she said, I just lost my grandchild. And in the, in the course of five minutes, and she said, but now my grandchild's my angel. And I could have said, no, no, that's not right. No, your grandchild's not your angel. That's not right. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I said, I am so sorry. And then I started to talk with her, and I told her about a book that I had read uh, that just brought so much healing uh, called Jesse Found in Heaven, and all of a sudden, she's like looking it up on Amazon. Then I pray over her, and then she starts crying, and there's this, it was a Pottery Barn order. This was not, I mean, people are hurting, and we are being combative to prove that we're right instead of understanding that people are really hurting. And this is what I love about you is you bring those hurting people into people's homes so that once they actually, in, in your writing, so that once they actually have the conversations, they won't default to ugliness or combativeness or anger, but you, you do the kindness. And I, I, just in case any of my people, because my people seem to get confused sometimes, just in case anybody is thinking, Lisa and Preston are endorsing people transitioning. 
That is not what we're saying here. What we're saying is we're endorsing the right conversations, the disruptive stereo, to disrupt the stereotypes, to create a kindness, to give you the ability to have conversations where you're not just shut out because you didn't have the ability to listen because you were so scared of what you were hearing. We want you to actually have this ability to preempt um, and, and, and handle things in a, in a manner that would honor Christ. And, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus, he just did this so brilliantly where he would always go to the answer instead of arguing about the small question. And, um, so I love that you did this and Preston, I always find that you, you lead people higher and, um, you know, I, I wish that we, I wish we didn't live in a broken world and I wish that, I wish that children didn't get exposed to pornography as early as three years old, that they didn't see things that they should never see, and they shouldn't be touched by people that should never touch them. I wish that it wasn't so easy to uh, access pornography. I wish that um, the things that are just like, you know, just put in front of us all times were things that would be pure, good rapport, healthy, but that's not the world we live in right now. And so we need the tools to understand. And, and I wanted to say that, you know, Preston has not just researched, and we talked about a lot of the research, a lot of the different dynamics, but this is based in the word of God. So I love that you wove scriptures into all of this. And, and I just want to thank you, Preston. You know, like you, you began by saying, you know, just to be clear, here's where we're at on our view on, you know, transitioning or something, or we're not there's just being kind doesn't mean endorsement. Um, and I also want to encourage Christians to be like, interrogate your own beliefs. Like, don't be satisfied in knowing what you believe, know why you believe it. And, and don't settle for giving thin answers to thick questions. So even if you look at the trans conversation and say, no, men shouldn't be women or they shouldn't transition. I'm like, okay, why? Have you explored the deep complexity of this conversation? Because then that, when you have, and then you come to a certain viewpoint, that gives you a lot more credibility. But if your view is just kind of made out of fear, like, no, here's what I believe, don't challenge me at all, or don't cause me to question that or interrogate that belief. Like that's not a healthy place to be. That's a really fragile set of beliefs. You know, we, we need to really slow down, take time to study, to think, to consider something from all angles so that our belief has deep roots in actual evidence and theology and science and everything, rather than just being reactive to everything. So that, that is an underlying goal in the book and why, you know, it takes me several chapters to get to where I'm like, yeah, I don't think. Yeah. I Preston always does that. Please read, read it to the end. Preston always does that. People, people to be loved. Some of my people read the first couple of chapters, freaked out instead of finishing the whole book. And, and I want to say that kind of, mindset, uh, I don't know if it's, it's simply Socratic, but the Jewish mindset is to take a thought pattern, break down ev the meaning of every single word, take it all apart, and then put it all back together. And, and so it, it wasn't that you were actually going to disagree with what you were disassembling. It was actually that you needed to have a greater understanding of why you had come to that thought pattern. And, and I always find with the word of God, there is such a revelation that you, you miss if you don't do the deep dive on the study yourself. And, um, you know, like I just feel that all of that work was done for me with embodied 
And um, I would, I think it's, it would be a great book for parents to go through with their children. And a lot of times I think people start these conversations way too early. I mean, way too late with their kids. Um, I think that conversations, you know, they can, they can be at that level. But, you know, if, if there is a an innuendo of constant misogyny in the church, then we need to counteract that with, um, with, with our daughters and just say, you know, God created woman, you know, to be an answer. You know, like we, we go through that dynamic and, um, you know, we, we, we need to be intentional where we weave a sub-support level on a deeper level so that when they're hit with something or an idea that we've never discussed with them hits them, they already have a, you know, they, they're not going to just cave. They're going to have a foundation. Like this is why. And my, you know, Addison told me, and again, bless my kid's heart. They just had a lot of time with me, but Addison told me, I love mom that you didn't just tell me not to do things. You told me why. And you know, we, we, we always had the why. And sometimes the why is exhausting, you know, like, you know, like as, because I told you so, you know, as parents, but then there is certain things you can say, because I told you so, but then there's other things. If you don't explain the why, like don't touch that light socket, you, you need to tell them why, you know, there's electricity in there. And I just think too many Christians, um, they do what you said, the thin answers. And, um, it's just, it's easier. And, you know, it's, it's hard to give more than thin answers if that's all you've been given. You, if you want to instill a more robust belief in your kids, we have to explore the moral logic, the whole, like, well, God said so answer, you know, that works for me. I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. And like, you know, my, my grand, my grandma, you know, used to say, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And I was like, makes sense to me. So I, for me, I don't, if God said it, I don't need to ask I'm the why I've read the book of Job. I know how that turns out. <laughs> That doesn't, not everybody resonates with that. Gen Z doesn't, they, they, even my kids, my kids are amazing. And they all, you know, they're all walk with the Lord and whatever, but I'll say things. And if I just, if all I do is quote the Bible, like my daughter asked me, why did God have to kill the Canaanite babies? And I'll give her a theological answer and everything. She's like, Hmm. I'm like, you don't, you don't buy it. Do you? She's like, not, not yet. No, no. Like they're going to be really honest if they don't, if they don't really like, I, I don't understand the logic of that. And, and I'm fine with maybe, you know what? And I, sometimes I don't understand the logic of certain things. I mean, it was not just the people, it was the animals. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. But even things like marriage and sex and sexuality, why is, can't we have sex outside of marriage? Why does God say no to same sex marriage, same sex sexual relationships? You know, I, I think they're, Rather than saying God said so, I think there are some better responses we can give that would make sense, more sense to people, you know, rather than just sticking to kind of the right answer and just regurgitating that, but help, helping people explore our, our beliefs on a deeper way. You know? I love that. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Preston Sprinkle. I always find myself so challenged after a conversation with Preston. I kind of go back and I, I reassess, you know, scriptures, how am I approaching it, conversations I've had in the past. So I hope that you will have the same response to that. I want to thank you for joining me for another Godmother episode. We talked about earlier that we are going to be navigating a lot of hard conversations. So I appreciate you just kind of hanging with me on this. And it really helps us if you give us feedback. We want to hear what you want to hear talked about 
also helps if you subscribe, rate the show. It gets it out there further. So if you haven't done that already, please, please do it. We want you to be part of our Godmother family. So until next time, this has been The Godmother with Lisa Bevere. Thanks for listening to The Godmother Podcast. Let us know your thoughts by leaving a review. You can subscribe and share these episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to check out the other shows in the Messenger Podcast Network, including Conversations with John and Lisa and Let's Talk About It with Sons and Daughters. You can connect with Lisa through Facebook, Instagram, and through her website at lisabevere.com. Until next time.